Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm happy to have Chris Durian as my guest today. Chris was a Centralia SEALs swim team member from age 5 to 18 and became an assistant coach at 19. He taught private and group swim lessons from age 13 to 19 and was also a lifeguard during this time. Chris became a recreational swim therapy practitioner at Big Fun Therapy and Recreation in 2008 and was promoted to director of the program in 2010. He founded Swimscape in 2013, and the program proved so successful, it expanded from two to four pools within two years. Chris runs a unique certification program for teaching swimming to special needs clientele, incorporating sensory processing activities and what he calls the Yoda engagement strategy. In his spare time, he enjoys writing, playing music, dancing, and hearing people's stories. Welcome, Chris, and thank you so much for joining me today to discuss your distinctive program and approach to swimming. Thank you, Gilda. I'm really happy to be here. So to start off with, how would you describe the experience of swimming in the context of approaching it from an adaptive perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> I think the first thing to say is that, you know, because I grew up so much in the water, um, I'm just so intimately connected to being in the water and have lived, uh, have, have lived it from a sensory perspective. It's just something that feels so different about being in the water, uh, that, that feels different in the body and the way that everything is magnified when you move and how you can glide and just do things that you can't do on dry land. And it's very, not only pleasurable, but um, after being in the water for a time, um, I've always just felt somehow better in, in subtle and not so subtle ways. So uh, coming, to a, coming to the adaptive world, when I started to learn, in, when I first entered the field, that there are very specific sensory experiences that can be therapeutic and improve coordination and motor planning and even emotional regulation, um, I was, it really resonated and, and, you know, from direct experience. But I think that's the first thing to say is that just being in the water, first of all, can have a profound effect on our sensory system and our emotional regulation and our coordination. Okay, well, I understand that you recommend something called the Yoda Technique for assessing adjustments that need to be made to someone's swimming um, or sw swimming approach, swimming technique. Can you please describe what that is? Absolutely. <clears throat> I used Yoda just because it's an easy one to remember. <clears throat> we are living in the, you know, an age of, of Star Wars. So, uh, uh, but it stands for you observe, diagnose, and adjust. And it's, it's kind of a mindset um, rather than kind of uh, to think of it as a process. Uh, when I started working with clients in the adaptive field, uh, you know, I just found that it required a lot of adjustments and adaptations on the fly. And that's in stark contrast to uh, more traditional methods of teaching swimming in a class setting or even in a one-on-one -on -one private setting where you follow kind of a, a given curriculum. And I think the reason for that is that each one of our clients in the adaptive world uh, is so 
it's so different. Now, every person is different, of course, but um, let's say I'm working with someone who doesn't use words or has a very limited use of words and um, I'm watching them swim and I'll just kind of have this relaxed but alert mindset to see how their arms and legs are moving. And as a, as a swim professional already, before I was trained in adaptive, I can kind of see what needs to happen or what, what could happen better to improve the movement. And so I'm, I'm kind of like taking the whole big picture in and then making little adjustments, maybe by offering a little bit of uh, what we'll call tactile cueing. All that is is a touch. So a touch under the knee calibrated to a certain amount of pressure or lift um, to adjust the kick. Now that's, you know, kind of a fancy way of saying something that seems very simple, but the, the Yoda mindset is that that's always going on as sort of a, uh, like a meta, a meta thing like that, that I'm always kind of looking, I'm always wanting our swimscape practitioners to be looking for those little adjustments that can be made even within the different activities that they're doing or the skills that they might be working on. So, um, and I think just for me and my own experience in working with clients, uh, that's been such a key part of the success that I have experienced when I've experienced success with them. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have dealt with in terms of dealing with uh, an adaptive or adaptive swimming technique, uh, teaching to clientele who have special needs or have certain uh, of their own challenges, how do you make them feel safe in the water? And what are some of the other um, difficulties that you have faced and overcome? Yeah, well, the biggest, uh, I, I kind of parsed two questions, how, you know, making, making kids feel safe in the water or, you know, anyone really for that matter. Um, and then the biggest challenges, and I think, you know, the, the first, the, to the first question, the biggest challenge are the kids that just absolutely love the water so much and are just so reveling in the sensory experience and maybe seeking to intensify or have, you know, specific sensory experiences in the water that it can actually be very hard for them to focus. And so on one hand, you know, I love seeing anyone that gets into the water and, is experience, having a really positive experience in their, in their body and um, from a sensory standpoint. On the other hand, there's, there's some things that we want to do. We want to learn some skills or have some different kinds of sensory experiences. So to that first challenge, it's bridging the gap from this feels, you know, from, from, the, from the client's perspective. So this feels so good. How can I get more of it? How can I connect that mindset to here's a skill that will not only get you from point A to point B and, you know, maybe be fun and be a new motor plan that can be transferable uh, and just increase overall coordination, but it can also feel really good in a subtly or not so subtly different way. So learning to swim on your back, for instance, um, is something that's not easy. From my view, backstroke uh, is one of the hardest things to coordinate. We're just not evolved to, to be moving um, in a straight line on our back through water, but we can do it. And uh, the, the pleasure from that, um, from both a sensory standpoint and just kind of a relaxation standpoint is, uh, is worth it. So 
hope I answered that question. I kind of got a little um, a little caught up in the backstroke of it all. But uh, <laughs> did, did I did I, did yeah. I kind of address the question there? Yes, yes, you did. Um, and and it sounds to me like for the most part, most of your clientele are just enjoying themselves so much and just so overwhelmed by the positiveness of the sensory experience that <laughs> if your biggest challenge yeah. is getting them to focus and listen because they're having such a good time, that's a great challenge to have. <laughs> yeah, it is a great challenge to have, but it, it is the yeah. biggest. And when I say biggest, I guess um, I'd mean the most common rather than sort mm-hmm. of, I guess, the most uh, in magnitude. Uh, there are kids that come to us that are very afraid of the water or have, and maybe have had a traumatic um, experience, like a near drowning thing, or it's just because of the way that their sensory, where they are in their sensory processing development. It's really, really scary to not have the, the sensation of a full, like the earth's full gravity. So remember when we get in the water, one of the things that feels pleasurable to a lot of people that, that floating sensation or I, you know, you actually weigh less. The, the earth's gravity is, is still acting on you, but the water is counteracting gravity. So you have a sense of, Oh, it's not so heavy. Um, there's not so much pressure on my joints and that might feel really good to some people. In fact, it does. But for an individual who has in their sensory processing development, hasn't built the pathways that that's a safe environment and, you know, maybe has the experience of, oh my gosh, I already had some difficulty figuring out where my body parts are in space, which is common to um, several autism spectrum disorder individuals, and then take away gravity and there's even less of a sensation to, to where my body parts are and less of be, you know, being grounded, to put it in lay terms. So there are different techniques for dealing with that. And they usually involve, um, we'll get too technical here, but creating, cre- creating kind of like a false gravity in the water so that the brain starts to build the pathways of, okay, I can, I can sense the input coming from my knees, for instance. So one thing I've done with a client that was very afraid to get in the water, and I could pre- pretty much tell that it was a gravitational insecurity issue. And that's, that's kind of what, what we call it in the, in the field. Um, you can do what's called uh, like a graded input. So all that means is gradual, gradually getting the body into the water, starting with maybe just the ankles on a step. So if you you have access to a pool with steps, what this might look like is you know a parent you know holding holding the hand of a child and get in just on that first step where the water might just come halfway up to to the uh, halfway up the shins and doing some marching, you know, march, march, march. And kids love rhythm, so we try to incorporate rhythmic uh, instructions and counting into our activities. So, you know, right, left, right, left. That's going to create pressure in the joints of the legs. And, you know, while that just might seem minimal or minuscule to you and I, it can be a huge difference just starting to, the, the brain's like, okay, here's this sensation of, you know, being lifted up by the water, but I can still sense there's input coming from those joints. The name for that input is proprioception. So then you might, you know, once, once the, the child's comfortable on that first step doing some marching, maybe the second step, go down there and do some marching, maybe squatting down, anything that's going to create enough input 
and pro proprioceptive input specifically in the joints of the body. So that's just pressure so that the brain starts to adjust and relax and say, okay, this is this environment. We're not literally going to lose track of our arms and legs or, you know, float up into the sky. Um, but it can, the brain can start to calibrate the, uh, the sensations of weightlessness. That makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I think that's a wonderful example. And, and actually based on that example, are there other things that people can do at home or at their local pool to practice good technique and help them learn how to swim more easily? Yes. I guess with that, that specific example, if, if, if there's, um, if it seems like, uh, someone is, is being bothered by the fact that they're weightless. And usually this manifests just by like someone just grabbing onto you and holding really tight. Like, Oh my gosh, it's not safe to be in this sort of buoyant environment. Um, so in addition to the like marching and, and gradually going down steps or ramps, um, you can help the help that person by putting their feet on the side of the pool and gently, but firmly, just you know, pushing from from behind them. So if their feet are on the wall, and let's say they're holding on either side of their feet, the body will be like up in kind of like a ball position. Um, we call that wall ball. And just by leaning into a child that's in that wall ball position, um, and you know, taking care and kind of keeping an eye out and, and making sure that they are you, you're not pushing too hard. Uh, just giving a little bit of pressure, it can feel really good. And this is one way that we help some of our kids that need to do this adjustment actually succeed in doing that. And we can tell you that the results can be really fast um, or they can be more gradual. So that's one thing. I think another thing would be, uh, you know, gradually rather than just holding on to mom or dad, um, holding on to uh, other buoyant equipment, um, kickboards, are kind of a cool piece of equipment because they float, but they're also very firm, or at least the sort of more traditional models are. And so that, that has, they have a sense of solidity, but they're also not, you know, 100% stable. They are going to rock back and forth a little. So as the practitioner, I would you know, hold a kickboard and, and let a child kind of um, feel the pressure, like if they climbed up partially onto it and feel the pressure in their chest. So that gives some, some of that input that's more comforting and makes them feel more secure. And I can hold the kickboard more stable, but not maybe 100% stable. So there's, they can start to get, and, and more importantly, their brain can start to get a sense that this is an environment where we're kind of constantly having these subtle movements and uh, start to make those, build the pathways that enable the individual, the swimmer, to deal with that. What about something like putting your face in the water? I know uh, there are a lot of people that I know personally who have an aversion to that because they don't like getting water in their eyes or up their nose, and, and it's just it's something that's very disconcerting to them. What about something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great one to bring up, Gilda, because it's, it is common, and, and um, it's common in the adaptive world and beyond. I've taught, you know, uh, typical swim lessons for many years, and you know, I have I encounter swimmers who just there's something about having water on the face that at some point uh, just became disturbing. It's about building the pathways in the brain that enable the brain to to adjust to these sensory these sensations. So one way to do that is to put pressure on one's face. So 
I might show a child that's like that I can tell the water getting on their face or putting their face in the water is very difficult. Uh, we might start by doing five rounds of uh, putting putting both palms on the face, covering the eyes and the cheeks all the way down to the jawbone, and pressing really hard and say press and wipe and start wiping downwards. And what this is doing, all those nerve endings, so many nerve endings in the face are being activated and given pressure. And this has at least a chance of helping to create those pathways that are going to, they're going to desensitize the face to being in the water. So you would actually do that while the face was in the water. Is that correct? Uh, No, I didn't specify. So some of this is really hard to describe in words. You you do it in the pool. Um, no, it would be before putting the face in the water. So pressing, okay. pressing the, the face, you know, wiping downwards uh, before putting the face in the water. Then asking, you know, asking a swimmer, hey, how did that feel after putting the face in the water? How does it feel the water on your face? And if they use words, they can say, you know, oh, it felt okay. Or they might say, it feels like pins and needles or it's prickly. I don't like it. Um, and what you can do is say, well, okay, we're going to wipe the yucky feeling away and just press the first press and you can press on their face for them, use their hands below your hands, hand over hand and and help press on the face and just, you know, slowly but firmly wipe down. And this is one technique that helps a lot of kids. That's very interesting. I've never heard that technique before. I know, excuse me. I know that a lot of um, swimming instructors that I've, you know, met in, in the past when my kids were learning to swim and so forth, they always say blow bubbles or that sort of thing to sort of become accustomed to, you know, having your face in the water and, and knowing that it's okay. Is that some, is that a technique that you also use or is that not quite as effective? Well, we definitely use the technique of blowing bubbles just to practice basic breath control. So uh, yes, blowing bubbles is a totally legit technique and that's why most swim teachers use it in terms of, it helping with like a, the, a sensitivity for a swimmer who, who um, has an, an aversion to putting their face in the water. I haven't personally seen that, you know, blowing bubbles really does anything specifically for that, but what it can do, if there's, if there's a fear that water is going to go up the nose or if there's I mean, that, that breath control we want to establish from, you know, from the get go that we can exhale both through the mouth and through the nose to prevent water from going into the mouth and into the nose. So in that sense, yes, the blowing bubbles, especially out of the, the nasal, out of the, blowing bubbles out of the nose can absolutely help a swimmer who's having trouble putting their face in the water. Okay. Um, now, I know you are located in the Los Angeles area. What if someone is not in L.A. proper, if they're in another part of the state or maybe in another state completely, uh, and they're listening to this podcast and they're wondering, gee, I would really love to get more information on teaching my kid how to swim. Is this something that you could help them with? Can they, would they be able to reach out to you for a consultation? Would you be able to refer them perhaps to people in other areas? Yeah, that's a great question. So I have three, well, three thoughts on that, I think. Um, one is that, you know, look, I, I always offer to, you know, I meet lots of parents at resource fairs. Like, hey, if you have any questions, if you just want to ask me something about, you know, when you're, 
when you're in the pool with your child, give me a call. Um, and I haven't been overwhelmed by calls yet. So I'll, I will definitely make that invitation and, and invite anyone who has a specific question about adaptive swim to reach out. Uh, the second thing is that there is a organization that we actually just this year partnered with to um, get some additional know-how and um, kind of keep up to speed on all of our adaptive techniques. They're a fantastic group called Swim Angelfish, um, and they actually offer uh, a certification program that all of our instructors have now um, gone through. And uh, they, I believe they have a something on their website that um, you can search for a Swim Angelfish certified practitioner. So that would be um, for the folks that are listening to this outside of the general Los Angeles area. There are organizations that usually, at the very least, um, have as part of their swim lesson offerings, they, they say they'll, they'll have like an adaptive instructor or an adaptive class. And what I've found is that, I mean, this is just a guess, but like 95% of the time when I ask about that, the instructors themselves or, or somebody that has been in those programs will say, well, they didn't really have any special training. They just said, this is for, this is an adaptive class, or, you know, this is the instructor that works with adaptive clients. So what, um, what absolutely someone could do is if, if you already have uh, a swim instructor that you're working with, you could point them to the swim angelfish online certification program and see if they're interested in doing that. Um, there's a cost associated with it. I think it's a good investment. Um, and then if it's, if it's actually an organization like a city pool or something, and they're interested in partnering, we can definitely um, do some training. I have on occasion just train people in the methods that we use. And um, there's all kinds of different arrangements we can make for that, either just paying for the training or, um, you know, there's, there's other partnerships that, that are possible. So I think there's, there's definitely options, um, even if you're not in the LA area to get really quality adaptive swim support. Well, that sounds really good, Chris. Um, so at this point, let me ask, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't covered? And what do you think is the most important takeaway for our listeners to remember from our conversation? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind, I won't, I won't uh, hammer with statistics, but the first thing that comes to mind is that swimming is not only really healthful for everyone, but it's also very important from a safety perspective. Uh, I definitely come from a household and from parents that um, you know, felt it very important that I learn how to swim, that my brother learned how to swim. I just think it's, it's a life skill that's extremely valuable, enjoyable, healthful. There's so many benefits that, um, you know, whether you get it, uh, you know, some, some lessons from us or find some other way, I, I just really would encourage everybody to discover the, the joy and the benefits of swimming generally because it's a wonderful activity. I would say the most important takeaway is hopefully by just hearing some of the, the techniques that can be used from, for some of the more common challenges for swimmers who have special needs uh, um, is that there are ways to overcome the challenges upon first uh, getting in the water with, with a, a child, you might think, Oh my gosh, how's this, this person ever going to learn how to swim? 
um, the, you know, the, the way they communicate and the way that they're moving and don't put their face in the water. You know, it's just, it's a little overwhelming, but the takeaway is there are techniques and sometimes things that you would just least expect, like the stomping on the steps. The uh, little girl, I think she was about four years old, and it took us probably three or four 30-minute sessions to really get her to where she, we overcame her gravitational insecurity. But once she did, she really, you know, kind of accelerated and loved being in the water and was able to progress and enjoy being in this wonderful sensory environment. So I guess to summarize, um, it, may, it, might, it might look like, uh, how is this person going to learn how to swim? But um, don't assume anything because amazing things can happen. So how can our listeners reach you, Ben, if they have questions or if they want to know more? Yeah, so we have, uh, I, I would just say two, two things. One, the website, uh, swimscape.com, and that's two A's in swimscape, S-W-I-M-S-C-A-A-P-E. And there's, uh, so you can find a wealth of information on there, including locations, um, schedules, rates, all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's also... Uh, I'll just give a phone number. It's 323-622-9468. All right. Repeat that one more time for the listeners. Of course. So 323-622-9468. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your time and for sharing some terrific information with us today. Thank you, Gilda. I hope uh, something that I've said has uh, been useful to somebody and that uh, it'll, it'll help people enjoy and discover swimming. I also want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. I'm Gilda Evans reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.